Welcome, everyone. My name is Tapiwa Chibota, and I've been with Every Nation for over a decade now. Um, I have been serving in this church for a long time, and um, it's been such a joy uh, and a pleasure to be able to have the opportunity to share um, the message uh, that I have um, um, that, I, that I have for you. Um, before I start, though, I wanted to just say that I um, am so grateful for Pastor Greg and Debbie um, for their pastoral leadership and who they are and how they love and serve this church and this community. Um, it's been such a joy uh, serving with them in the midst of all that's been going on under COVID to know that um, they care deeply about this community, they care deeply about us, um, and um, are always available um, to, to either talk things through with anybody um, and just be an encouragement. And so, Pastor Greg, thank you for your teaching. Uh, we really appreciate your teaching and how um, you're able to explain things in a way that gives uh, truth and meaning um, to, uh, to, um, to the scriptures. And so, just, just wanted to um, give, uh, give, uh, give thanks um, for Pastor Greg and Debbie for what they do for us. So today I'm going to be sharing with you uh, about finding forgiveness through faith. It takes faith to believe you have been forgiven, and it takes faith to forgive. Do you have faith in God's forgiveness? Do you have faith to be forgiven? In Exodus chapters 5 and 12, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? Get back to work. Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go, pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover the animal. Brush its blood across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses and no one may go through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. At that night, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave with my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. The deliverance of Israelites came with a cost that had to be paid. The Passover was designed by God for the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt and would result in becoming a reminder to the people of what God had done. In the current day, it has become an annual reminder also of what God has done for us. For the Israelites to be spared from the plague of death, a lamb or goat with no defects had to be killed, its blood placed on the door frame or of each home. What was the significance of the lamb? In killing the lamb or goat, the Israelites shed innocent blood. The lamb was a sacrifice, a substitute for the person who would have died in the plague. From this point on, the Hebrew people would clearly understand that for them to be spared from death, an innocent life had to be sacrificed in their place. 
The understanding of what was required for the Israelites to be delivered from slavery and oppression carries weight. Their departure from Egypt was a somber one, marred with weeping and wailing, pain and anguish, that they had to pack up their things and rush out of there. It was also an act of faith that eating the Passover feast while dressed for travel, even though they were not yet free, this preparation was an act of faith that God would lead them out of Egypt, preparing ourselves for the fulfillment of God's promises, however unlikely they may seem, demonstrates our faith. Forgiveness comes with a cost that Christ paid for the sake of relationship. The Passover was also a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do to deliver the world from sin. It was a foreshadowing of how Jesus would be the innocent lamb whose death on the cross and bloodshed on the cross would extend to humanity the opportunity to be forgiven and delivered from sin and be in right relationship with God, which would allow us to be in right relationship with each other. Forgiveness does not make sense if we don't recognize that we are imperfect people who are separated from God by our sin. Forgiveness does not make sense if there isn't an acknowledgement that hurt people hurt people. People can say and do some really mean and nasty things, unintentionally or intentionally. In our church, we define sin as breaking right relationship with God and others. We are self-centered, and that motive produces words and actions that divide us from God and each other. Sin has a weight that comes with it, and someone must bear the weight of it. In Romans 6.23, we read in Scripture that it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of Jesus' final words on the cross before he died were, were all about forgiveness. His death and resurrection purifies us and allows us the opportunity to be forgiven. We have been given the choice to be made righteous. When Christ died for us, he restored our ability to have a relationship with the Father. He sacrificed what was for the wrong things we had done forever, um, wrong things we had done, or things we were going to do um, living here on this earth. Forgiveness has three par parties involved. God, the offender, and the offended. In the book of Exodus, we have God, the Israelites, and the Egyptians. Each has a role to play in the process of forgiveness. The process is not void of emotions or feelings. It is a process that, when applied, delivers us from the grips of eternal separation from God and allows for the opportunity for restoration of relationship. What does forgiveness look like for the person who has been offended? As a believer and a follower of Christ, we are called to forgive. Have you forgiven anyone lately? Christ took on the weight of sins of the world and forgave. We too have to take on the weight of the offenses we encounter from others. Bear that and forgive them. Forgiveness is an act of love. In John 3, 16, 
And those of you who know this first well, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that for the sake of relationship, he sacrificed his only son that we might not be separated from him for all eternity, but be restored into a loving, loving relationship with our Father. In Matthew 6, chapter 14 and 15, uh, in the message, it says, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what we do. You can't get forgiveness from God. For instance, without also forgiving others, let me read that again, you can't, forgive, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. What does forgiveness look like for the person who has committed offense? How do you forgive those that have caused you grave offense? intentionally or otherwise. When someone breaks a right relationship with you and God, you can get ang angry, and that can lead to, leads to bitterness, resentment, a desire for revenge, and retaliation to absorb the wrongs committed against you with no just cause. Living such a life can surely make it really difficult to forgive those that have offended you, abused you, oppressed you, or enslaved you. The Israelites, were enslaved by the Egyptians. When the Israelites made the, the choice to pick out a lamb or goat, slaughtered it and brushed its blood across the top and sides of the door frames of their houses, the lamb absorbed the sins of the Israelites, and in doing so, God forgave the Israelites to make their hearts pure. Jesus absorbed the sins of the world so that those that believe could be forgiven. The only way you can forgive is if God offers you a way out and you receive it. I would like to present to you this idea that just as Christ took on the weight of sin of the world and, and forgave, we too have to take on the weight of the offenses we encounter from others. Bear that and forgive others. Forgiveness is an act of love that we can only accomplish because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in those who have chosen to believe in Jesus. When I chose to forgive, I'm, or when I choose to forgive, I'm making the conscious effort to absorb or take on the offenses of, other, of the other person. I, I'm acknowledging and taking on the weight of their offenses, essentially saying I'm choosing relationship with my Heavenly Father over harboring bitterness and resentment for the offenses committed against me. Have uh, you had someone tap you on the forehead continuously with their finger to point that uh, it was extremely irritating and uh, you just wanted them to stop? You can't even begin to forgive that person for the irritation until you tell them to stop the offense. It requires you finding your voice and rebuking that person of, the, of their offense. In Luke 17.3, it says that, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. In Matthew 6.15 it says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In Luke 6.37 it says, Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Why it might be difficult to hear and process mentally and emotionally is that there is a cost 
to forgiving your offender. There is a weight and heaviness and possibly the rehashing of trauma when one chooses to forgive. You might feel that if I forgive my enemy, then I'm saying that their actions against me are absolved at no cost and my pain and suffering was insignificant and meaningless. Forgiving your enemy can feel like you're letting them off the hook. You're giving them a pass. Get out of jail free card. I would like to tell you that it's not true. Out of a place of fear, the nation of Egypt chose to enslave an entire people group for economic benefit and satisfy a need for a false sense of national security. The Pharaoh of that time went to great lengths to oppress the nation of Israel and instructed the massacre of an entire generation of boys to ensure he could keep the population in check and use fear as a tool to control and manipulate the people. With Egypt's utter disregard of human life, rejection of God and his people, in an effort to remain superior and in control, the Israelites were now living in a broken and abused, abusive relationship. A great offense had been committed that had generational impact. This was an act by a public figure at a national scale that had chosen to cause the anguish, pain, and struggle of another nation. How did that to how did the Israelites find freedom from their oppressors? This is where Moses and his brother Aaron, who represented the Israelites, entered the scene and stood before Pharaoh, who represents Egypt, and gave Pharaoh countless opportunities to make a wrong right by letting the Israelites go. Pharaoh says, who, who is the Lord, um, you know, that I should obey him and, and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and you know, I won't let them go, right? So Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, and so the Egyptians are encountered by the weight of their rejection of God's request and choose to face God's justice and experience an immediate and great loss through what we now know as the Passover. It was a great, it was a great cost that Israelites were finally able to, set, to be set free. I, I, can help, I can't help but notice that the initial offenses or offense of enslaving and killing the sons of, of the Hebrews or the Israelites was the very price that God finally chose to exact his justice on the Egyptians. Where there is no repentance, God will always in his timing exact his justice. Where there is no repentance, there cannot be forgiveness. So my son um, has been dealing with playground politics. And um, one of the challenges that he faces is that he has a dear friend that he cares deeply about. And um, this friend is somebody that uh, he understands needs extra attention and care. Um, it's somebody that, um, uh, you know, has a TA. And, and so my son is very aware of that and does his best to include him in a lot of different activities. Um, he tries to support him, and he also tries to, you know, protect him from other, uh, other, his peers, essentially, when, when this kid, you know, basically has a fit or breaks out and lashes out. And when this kid lashes out, my son is the one who always seemingly uh, finds himself um, taking abuse, whether it's being pushed over, punched, kicked, or scratched. And whenever he tells me these stories, my heart breaks because... 
I want nothing more than to protect my son from the world and the offenses that he's going to encounter. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, why do you keep putting yourself into this situation over and over again where you have to uh, struggle um, to, you know, or be hurt over and over again? And so I find uh, that his response to me is, is just profound. He says, Daddy, I have to forgive him. I have to forgive him. Um, Jesus says that I must love everybody and I need to forgive him. And so that speaks volumes um, of what God calls us to. As difficult as uh, that is for you and I to hear, the Bible says in Luke 17, even if, let's find it here. Uh, even if uh, they sin against you, even seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Jesus calls us to forgive because until you do, your heart will remain impure and you cannot fully function as you carry the hurt and pain with you from relationship to relationship. God also calls us to repent because until you do, you will never be free from death. It hopefully also goes without saying that your enemy is not going to become your best friend. Forgiveness and repentance are required to restore the relationship. As the person who needs to be forgiven, you are essentially being called into a place of repentance. And so that, um, that has to look like something. For the Israelites and the Egyptians participating in the Passover and sacrificing a lamb was the process of repentance. Repentance is more than just the acknowledgement of wrongdoing, but the turning away from a life of sin or habit and walking towards a right relationship with the Father and, until, and ultimately the people around you. Repentance makes you feel some kind of way. It's a decision you make because your guilt and shame is an indicator for you that something isn't right. My son is also very remorseful. And um, if you're a parent, you can relate to this because um, we all live with repeat offenders in our home um, as parents. And so I know that at any point in time in the course of his life, He's going to do something to disobey me, you know, whether that's lying uh, or disobedience or whatever form that may, may look like. And ever since he was little, um, we've, we, we parented in a way that, um, you know, Pastor Greg calls fearless parenting. Um, and, and we found that when we separated Fry from us, so when we put him into, into timeout, um, the, the effect on him was physically evident that he had done something so significant that he was going to be separated from us. And as he sat on the floor in the corner, um, just sobbing, physically sobbing, and just reaching out and just wanting to get a hug or um, to just be re reconnected with us, I could sense that he was remorseful. I could sense that he was repenting in his heart. I'll take it a step further, and, you know, once he was kind of calmed down a bit, I'd kneel beside him and, and look him in the eye and say, look me in the eye. What did you do wrong? And he would express and say, well, this is what I did. I, you know, I, 
I, I, I, you know, I broke this or I, I turned on the TV when I wasn't supposed to, et cetera. And so he confesses um, what he did wrong um, and, and, and he's repentful of or repents from, from what, he, what he's done. And, and, and the relationship is restored. I give him a hug. We walk away from that moment. And I know that he's going to do it again. I know that. So as a parent, I carry the weight that my son is going to offend me, is going to break my heart, um, is going to do wrong, is going to disobey me over and over and over again. And yet, as a parent, I make that choice to love him and lead him to a place of repentance. So another example that I have is that of my own life uh, growing up. um, I found that uh, every time I disobeyed my parents and they called me out and they sat me down and walked me through what I'd done wrong, for weeks on end, you know, two to three weeks after that, I would work for my salvation, or at least that's what I thought I was doing. But really, that's not what I was doing. What I was doing was um, demonstrating my remorse. And so I would clean the dishes extra hard. I would do the laundry. I would go mow the lawn. I would, uh, you know, be as kind as I could to my siblings. Um, you know, I'd go the extra mile and help get the groceries out of the car when mom went shopping. And whatever I needed to do to show that I was remorseful and that I was going to be, I just, I just longed to be right in back relationship with them after I committed offense. And yet they knew, maybe a day later, or after those three weeks of me hustling and bustling, that I was potentially going to disobey them. Here's the thing. I wasn't working for my salvation or for my forgiveness. There is a need to demonstrate to the person who is offended that you are different now. You have changed and you're going to put effort into the relationship to ensure that you don't break that trust. For the Israelites, it looked like them walking out of Egypt and following God through uh, using you know, the pillar of fire uh, by night and a cloud uh, by day instead of following Pharaoh. Repentance is more than a feeling. It is an act of faith coupled with action. Faith that God has forgiven you and restored the relationship with him. Faith that the other person has forgiven you. Faith that there is an opportunity for the relationship to be restored. When you choose to repent or forgive, you're creating space for relationship and opportunity for God to do more in your life. As I conclude, I'd like to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. You know that in the past you were living in a worthless way, a way passed down from the people who lived before you, but you were saved from the useless, from that useless life. You were bought, not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was like a pure and perfect lamb. If you're familiar with the account of Jesus' death and resurrection, there are two disciples that are mentioned that come to mind, at least for me, Judas and Peter. Both were called out by Jesus for the offenses they were going to commit before they did them. Jesus had to carry the weight of that knowledge to the cross. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he had a choice to repent, run back to God, or walk away. But he chose to take his own life 
out of guilt and shame. When Peter, one of Jesus' other disciples, realized that um, he had denied Jesus three times, he was gripped by his sin. He wept bitterly. When Jesus, and when Jesus rose again, he was one of the first of the disciples who, who went running to the tomb because he so badly wanted to restore his relationship with Christ. Choose to forgive. Give others the opportunity to repent. And in the same way, repent and allow for forgiveness to take place. In so doing, you're choosing relationship over self. We have the choice to run to God, run to relationship, or we have the choice to run away from it. And forgiveness is that process that allows us to restore our relationship. As the person who has to forgive, you are creating uh, an opportunity for somebody else to be able to repent, for somebody else to be able to have their relationship restored with God. As the person who has to repent, your repentance demonstrates, and your remorse demonstrates to the person who's forgiving you that you're willing to make change. And it also gives you the opportunity to restore your relationship with God too. And so there's a weight that both have to carry, the person who has to forgive and the person who has to repent. And we have to walk through that together. Why don't we take a minute to pray? Father God, we're just so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for how you sacrificed your only Son, that whosoever believes in you would have eternal life. And so, Lord, um, may we walk in a way that follows the example that you live. May we be willing to absorb the weight uh, of being offended, the weight of offense of others, and know that your Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive others. May we walk in a way knowing that when we offend others, we must seek repentance. Father God, I ask, Lord, that as a community, as a church, that we can learn to love. I know that forgiveness doesn't absolve people uh, or, get, or doesn't, doesn't call people, uh, give a get-out-of-jail-free card, Father, but it, it basically uh, gives an opportunity for us to show love, uh, your love, Father. Um, when we walk in that faith as we find uh, your love through forgiveness. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.